Next Day Takeaways here on Keyboard Kimura, Sunday, May 21st. I am E. Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man, here to talk about UFC Vegas 73, which took place yesterday afternoon and evening in Las Vegas, Nevada at the UFC Apex. Headlined by a strawweight battle between Mackenzie Dern and Angela Hill, we shall jump right in. Dern wins the fight, unanimous decision, 49-43, and then 49-44 twice. She earned 10-8 scores in rounds 3 and 5 from two judges and 10-8 in 1-3 and 5 from the other to register that lopsided score. It was, to me, the best performance, the most complete performance of Mackenzie Dern's career. And yet I'm still sitting here on Sunday morning kind of not sure that we learned anything about Mackenzie Dern or saw anything from Mackenzie Dern on Saturday that really changes things. So after the event, I was messaging, talking with my pal Sam Dunn from Boardroom. And he asked me, did we learn anything about Mackenzie Dern here? And it, it came into my, my DMs at the right time because I was in the process of, of writing the kind of main event takeaway recap for about Saturday's action, which is up now on the, on the newsletter. Go check that out. Find it in my feeds. And that was what I was was just about to say was despite this being a really good performance and, and Dern showing a bunch of improvements and a bunch of changes, additions, I still don't know that I come away from that fight thinking she's anyone other than who I already believe her to be. And I'll explain it this way. Yes, we saw greater urgency we saw better aggression better pace greater conditioning it seemed because she was still getting after it in the fifth round where in previous fights she's faded a little bit but the power has always been there with Mackenzie Dern the ability and the willingness to go out there and put herself in the fire and, and wade into the fray has always been there for Mackenzie Dern from the time she was fighting on the regional circuit when she first transitioned into MMA. It's always been there because there is that understanding that if this gets down to the ground, if I get taken down, if I go, you know, ham in here and something goes sideways and I end up on my back, that's fine. I'm a multiple-time world champion Brazilian jiu-jitsu player. I'm good. So that hasn't changed. She found a home for some big shots on Saturday. She sat Angela Hill down with an overhand right in the first. She put that knee on her chin early in the third. I have no idea how Angela Hill remained upright. It was staggering to me, and pun intended as Angela Hill staggered backwards. But looking at that fight and, and taking some time to both talk with Sam, process it in that moment, and, and again, sort of overnight thinking about it more, it's a performance to me where we still see some of the holes and challenges and, and shortcomings, I guess, a little bit of Mackenzie Dern. Because in a couple of those rounds, the round expires and she's close to finishing a submission. So there's a little bit of a when to go gap to me. Additionally, and this was the point Sam and I sort of stuck on and it's a point that harry and i talked about 
all the time when we were doing the takeaways and when we would do different things. And it's, it's Harry's big pet peeve. When you're in those dominant positions, why not just flatten the person out and smash home elbows and just rain down blows? Because it is the quicker, easier, more effective way to get a stoppage than to be in there hunting, trying to set up something that one, your opponent knows is coming, two, is harder to connect on, and three, ultimately kind of hinges a little bit on their ability to take that punishment. Now certainly, everybody has a different ability in terms of taking elbows and taking big shots, but it seemed to me like there were openings for Mackenzie Dern when she got into those dominant positions to just unload and get Angela Hill out of there. Not because I think Angela Hill would have looked for a way out. She was game to the very end. But we saw Jason Herzog taking a good look. He checked in with Angela Hill before each of the final two rounds and gave her the like, hey, are you good? And she said yes, and we continued. But if Mackenzie Dern goes out there and smashes home elbows and just rains down unimpeded punishment, maybe she gets her out of there rather than having to hunt for arm bars, having to hunt for different chokes. Maybe she gets that finish. And that wouldn't necessarily change my overall opinion of this fight and her performance or where she goes going forward, but it would show a little bit more of that evolution. The other piece of this, to me, in terms of Sam's question and what we may or may not have learned about Mackenzie Dern on Saturday night, is that as I look at the division, as I look through the rest of the rankings in the strawweight division, Mackenzie Dern came into the fight ranked number eight. She probably moves up a spot. She she maybe leapfrogs Marina Rodriguez, which would be, you know, another testament to, to the rankings as Marina Rodriguez holds a win over Mackenzie Dern not that long ago, but still. But when I look at the people in front of her, I don't necessarily know that the woman I saw on Saturday has any more success against the five, six, seven, eight people in front of her. Working from closest to Dern up. Certainly she might have more success against Marina Rodriguez if they were to run it back. She's already beaten Verna Jandiroba, so that's that's certainly an opportunity for her to get another win and move further ahead. I'm not sure how a fight with Jessica Andrade goes if she comes in throwing wild shots and, and leaving herself exposed. Jessica Andrade, for the shortcomings we've seen this year in her last couple of fights, the setbacks she's had, still a former champion, still super dangerous. Amanda Lemos punishes Mackenzie Dern. Power shots, hurts her, gets her out of there. That's my belief. We saw Yan Jonan beat her last year. She called for it. I give her all the respect in the world for kind of putting out the polite, hey, if Rose Namajunas is still fighting, I'd love that fight. I think it's really interesting. I also think Rose Namajunas is a far superior fighter, far more technical, pieces are up on the feet, does well to defend in those situations when they get into the clinch, when they get onto the ground, and wins that fight rather handily. Carlos Sparza currently with child, so she's out of the mix. And don't even get me started on Mackenzie Dern and Zhang Wei Li 
because that is one-way traffic from the jump. And so I'm left sitting here, despite a dominant performance, despite feeling like Mackenzie Dern just turned in the most complete effort of her career, wondering how much more there is for her to grow and develop. I think there's room. It's not like Mackenzie Dern is some 35, 36-year-old veteran that's been around forever, and there's no way to expect further improvements. She's shown just in the last few fights that she's making improvements and adjustments. Her conditioning, her pace was better this time around. She maintained her energy. But I don't know that there's a whole bunch of tactical and technical refinements that we're going to see because I just don't think that's who Mackenzie Dern is. For me, though, the biggest takeaway from this fight, and it applies both to Dern herself and just fighters broadly speaking, to me this fight showed the impact of confidence in there in the cage, in the moment. It's not something that necessarily waxes and wanes with every athlete. Some people, no matter if it's going good, no matter if it's going poorly, are able to Stay locked in, stay dialed in, stay on mission. Mackenzie Dern talked about in the lead up to this fight that in those moments previously when she didn't get the first round submission, when she didn't get the early finish, it would shake her confidence and you could see her get frustrated. And if you go back and watch some of her earlier fights, you can see that frustration really take a toll on her. I think that's part of what creates some of that exhaustion some of that fatigue is just the body reacting to the frustration you're carrying we didn't see that on saturday she came out and had a very good first round a dominant first round hurting angela hill spending the majority of the round in top position chasing finishes landing punishment and that carried her throughout the rest of the fight even after the second round angela hill was able to kind of come back a little bit and steady herself. We didn't see Mackenzie Dern falter. She didn't take that step back. She didn't have that moment of, this is getting away from me. Now, maybe it's because it's 1-1. Maybe it's because she had so much success in round one that she's buoyed by the fact that, hey, I probably got a 10-8 and I can't believe only one official gave her a 10-8 in that round. But it it carried her and propelled her throughout the rest of the fight. And that, for me, is going to be the thing that I look to see in these next few fights with Mackenzie Dern. Is she able to come out there confidently to start each fight and maintain that no matter how things play out? If she goes out there and isn't able to get that first round finish, doesn't hurt somebody right out of the shoot as she did on Saturday... Does that belief stay high? Does that focus and intensity stay high? It did on Saturday, and it resulted in the best performance of her career. And if she can maintain that with the skills that she has, with the clear power that she carries in her hands, and her willingness to get in there and mix it up with just about anybody, I think she'll continue to do well. She'll continue to be an entertaining, exciting fighter in this division. And who knows what happens on a given night. You get in there on the right night with the right person 
you put forth a, a good effort, you pick up a victory, and your your stars can change. Fate can change. The UFC clearly likes Mackenzie Dern, has an interest in pushing her, giving her opportunities. Dana White said just about as much at his media availability after the event. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Rose Namajunas fight come together if Rose is so inclined. And if she goes out and wins that one, then she's in line for a title shot. Co-main event, Anthony Fluffy Hernandez defeats Edmund Chabazi and TKO a minute and one second into the third round. Elbows and punches from top position. Four straight wins for Fluffy. All finishes. The slow starts might catch up to him. The slow starts might be a thing that that cause him some problems down the road as he continues to push forward in this division and climb the divisional ladder. But it didn't impact him on, on Saturday. And this fight truly did play out the way I expected it to. My takeaway from it in looking at this fight are, are two different things. One, Hernandez is continuing to improve. And I do think that there's, there's more room for growth. He is somebody, and while I appreciate the pace and the approach he takes on the ground, and we heard it throughout the broadcast right from his corner, from Jim West in his corner, shouting out to him, 30 seconds on the choke, 30 seconds into ground and pound. I would rather him commit one way or the other, and similar to what I said about Mackenzie Dern and how we saw this fight finish... When he committed to just pounding out Edmund Shabazian in the third, he got him out of there. The duration of the second round, he was in similar positions and just alternated between looking for a couple different choke setups and then throwing some ground and pound. And then looking for a choke setup and then throwing ground and pound. If he commits one way, it probably comes quicker. Again, it's not that I'm dismissive of submissions. It's not that I don't want to see people going for submission attacks when they feel comfortable, when they're in the right spot. Certainly, I, I adore watching great submissions. But I also understand and recognize that pounding someone out that way and, and dropping elbows as Fluffy did to end the fight is the quicker, surer path to victory. Right? As soon as he started smashing home those elbows, you can see Edmund Shabazian kind of cave into himself again and just be like, nah, this is this is not where I want to be. The referee stops it. Away we go. Fluffy makes it four straight wins. At 29 years old, he is right in that, that prime position where everything should be coming together, where he's the best he's he's been and the best he's going to be in this moment. That's not to say that he can't continue to improve, that he won't continue to get better. But just that he's he's right there in that spot where the years of experience, the athleticism, the understanding of how to deploy his skills are all coming together. They're all coalescing, and it's a great opportunity for him. Looking ahead to the division in terms of matchups for Fluffy Hernandez, it's a weird spot. Middleweight is, is perpetually strange. It's perpetually... Got a bunch of dudes that have all fought each other. Mackenzie Dern talked about it a little bit 
in regards to, to Strawweight, and I agree with her as well, that everybody's sort of fought everybody. Now, Fluffy hasn't fought up because he hasn't been in the in the promotion that long. He hasn't been in the division that long. But everybody ahead of him, everybody in that top 15, is either matched up or feels like they might be a bridge too far. And I don't want to overextend him at this point. I don't want to hustle him into something where it doesn't necessarily make sense. That being said, he's due a step up in competition. Edmund Shabazian has been ranked in the past and we'll get to him momentarily. Was coming off a good win but not a great win and is a name to a certain extent. And so when you put together four straight wins and four straight finishes, I advocate for this all the time, both on this show and otherwise, you have to reward those things. You have to move those people forward. This is a good win in a co-main event spot, regardless of the quality and caliber of the event that it is on overall. Give him a step up. And when I look at the division, when I think about the timing of things, it is May 21st. Jack Hermanson is the name that, that jumps out to me. The Joker was supposed to fight Brendan Allen. He had to withdraw because of an withdraw, excuse me, because of an injury. And so when we figure out that timeline, when we know a little more, and, and I will look into a little more what a what a projected timeline for a return for Jack Hermanson is, that's a matchup that I like. That's a matchup I'd like to see. If Derek Brunson isn't retired, give me Derek Brunson. Because Derek Brunson is going to be a guy that tests that slow start problem that Fluffy has. We saw it on Saturday. Shabazian came out and popped him a couple times. And Hernandez smiled at him, gave him, a, gave him, gave him the deuces, and then fired back and kind of got into it. Derek Brunson has five good minutes in him. And he will give you hell for those five minutes. And Fluffy would have to survive those five minutes. And if he could, he could beat a top ten fighter. If those two gentlemen are unavailable, give me the guy in between them in the rankings, Roman Delize, I'm in. I want to see Anthony Hernandez get his step up. I want to see him get a greater opportunity going forward. Four wins, four finishes. It's merited. You have to, re you have to reward those things. My other takeaway from this fight, and it's one that, that truly does genuinely make me sad. It's that Edmund Shabazian was brought along way too quickly and was done a disservice overall. Now, I want to preface this by saying, or I want to start this piece by saying, no one did this to Edmund Shabazian. He, is, he has agency. He had representatives that he could have worked with greater and said, no, I want to dial it back. I fully understand why he didn't. You feel like you can conquer the world. 21, 22-year-old kid coming off a couple good wins. You feel like I'm just going to it's just going to continue. Undefeated, putting people out in the first round. Knocks out Brad Tavares in Madison Square Garden. First round, move to 11 and 0. I understand why we were right back in there in the summer against Derek Brunson in a main event, taking all of those opportunities. It shouldn't have happened. Brad Tavares probably shouldn't have happened. Part of it is 
because there is a dearth of talent. And at that time, as now, there was a lack of young emerging names in the middleweight division. But you look at since then, and that's the part that really sticks out to me. So he fights Derek Brunson in August 2020, loses that fight. He comes back in May 2021 and fights Jack Hermanson and loses that fight. He comes back a few months later and takes on Nasruddin Imovov and loses that one. After the Brunson fight, there should have been a hard reset. There should have been a good step back. Because that fight showed the same holes and the same flaws and the same shortcomings that we saw on Saturday. There's five great minutes and then we're in trouble. Then it's hang on. Hermanson fight showed the same. Imavov fight, not even that much. There needed to be a better reset much earlier. After that first test against a top 10 fighter in Brunson in the summer of 2020, in Las Vegas, step it back. Pull back on the reins. This is a 21, 22-year-old kid. He's just taken his first loss. He doesn't need to go in there with a 33, 34-year-old veteran in Hermanson to deal with that, that problem the next time out. Coming back and beating Dolce Lungiambula, as I said during the week, is a good win, but it doesn't show us anything. It doesn't tell us anything. I believe at the time... I wrote about it saying exactly that. There's still holes. There's still flaws. We don't know anything, that anything has changed, that anything's different with Edmund Shabazian. And we saw on Saturday that it really isn't. There are good elements to his game, but there's pieces that have just never been developed. And I think that that confidence that he carried through those first 11 fights was shattered over these last over that three-fight losing streak and hasn't really been built back. And I don't know how it could be. I understand how it couldn't be. Because he hasn't done anything to build that confidence back up. Sure, he got the win over Dolce Lungiambula last time out. But it took probably more than he expected it to. And if he's anything like me, or if he's somebody that's still thinking about those setbacks, you come away from that thinking about how it didn't go as well as you wanted more than I got things moving in the right direction. Now, he's surrounded by great people, people that I have relationships with, that I have the utmost respect for, and Eric Nixick and Dewey Cooper and the Extreme Couture crew, and they will certainly be working to build him up, to raise him up and raise his confidence and his belief in himself. But I don't know if you can can rebuild this foundation because it feels like it's cracked and it didn't need to be in my opinion. We'll touch on this same thing a little later with someone else on this card. But to me, Edmund Shabazian is a perfect example of how we need at times to just rein in our desire to see young fighters thrown to the wolves and pushed to the hilt. There are times when we need to just take it slower, where we need to have those step backs, and it doesn't need to be. And again, as I said off the start of this, he has agency in this. 
he has representatives that can advocate for him getting different fights in this. And I think they needed to back during that losing streak. And I hope they do now after this loss. Because that's what he needs. To me, Edmund Shabazian needs a year in the gym, a year on the treadmill, a year just working on fundamentals and basics and conditioning and finding ways to build up that confidence again. I think Eric Nixick and Dewey Cooper and that crew can do it. He's still a young man. He's still only 25 years old. He turns 26 in November. We got lots of time to rebuild this. And I think there's skill and there's talent and there's still upside there. We just got to go out and find it. Next one, a catchweight bout between Lupi Godinez and Emily Ducote. Godinez wins by unanimous decision, 30-27 and 29-28 twice. My takeaway from this one is that Lupi Godinez could be a threat in this division. If she just mixed things up a little more. We saw very late in the fight, she drove through a double leg where she just literally ran through Emily Ducote. It didn't change anything about the fight. It didn't impact the scoring of the round or anything of that nature. What it was, was a reminder of who she was when she came to the UFC and a different element that she has that we haven't seen enough of in recent fights. I asked on Wednesday in one question if either of these women would add a different wrinkle, if they would move into, if they would offer some grappling entries in this fight we saw emily Ducote try to do it a couple of times mostly out of defensive need right getting pieced up so let me try to change levels and get inside she wasn't able to have success Godinez is a is an absolute tank and strong as hell and just shucked her off and shut down those attempts we saw loopy do it at the end of the fight and it it should be something that her coaches grab hold of and say, look, we need to do this, even if it's once around, and we don't do anything with it beyond put that opponent on their ass in the center of the octagon as a reminder that this is here. It will open up all the other pieces. Because in the fight with Cynthia Calvillo and this fight with Dakota on Saturday, you see Godinez settle into, I'm just boxing. I'm just kickboxing. And it's it really is just boxing. And largely headhunting at that. I look at her as an athlete and I think, man, there's there's so much you can add on here to a tremendous base, to a terrific foundation. Strong, athletic, physical, likes to fight, like genuinely likes being in there and has no problem with getting hit or hitting somebody. Very hard, has some pop. If you mix in both some level changes in terms of her targeting with her boxing, add in a a few more kicks, a few more strikes to the lower extremities, and then that wrestling, she feels like one of those fighters that could just be a complete problem. Now, it may cap out because that's just the way it is, right? Everybody has a ceiling. Hers may be below championship contention 
but I just want to see. Like, I came away from this fight wanting to see Lupe Godinez put more pieces on. Add more things to the arsenal. Because what she has right now is good. She'll probably break into the rankings on Tuesday when they update. There's a very good possibility of it. She's got two wins already this year. Would make sense if she cracks the strawweight top 15. Angela Hill is at 14. Lou Pinheiro's at 13. Michelle Watterson Gomez is at 12. Tabitha Ricci's at 15. Like, she's close. She's on the cusp. And I know this was a catchweight fight and all of that thing, but she's on the cusp. And if she doesn't break into the rankings, she's right there and she's going to get another opportunity, maybe against somebody in the rankings next time out. And if she can add these pieces over the next bunch of months, over the next 12 to 18 months, 18 to 24 months, she could be a handful. There's going to be some opportunities. There are some opportunities right now to move forward in this division. Watterson, is, Watterson Gomez has struggled. Angela Hill's coming off that loss and is not getting any younger. Tisha Torres is out currently with child. So there's room to move forward. Add these pieces and Lupi Godinez could be even more dangerous, which is saying something because she's looked very good in two appearances this year. Next up, Joaquin Buckley knocks out Andre Fialyu. Second round, four minutes, 15 seconds in. Welterweight fight. The takeaway here is it is a really simple one, and that's the Joaquin Buckley. Should just continue to be fun at, at welterweight. I think there's a ceiling. I think there's a cap to how far Buckley is going to be able to go because there are just pieces of his game that don't quite translate to that upper tier. But he can thrive in this position of entertaining fights explosive always you you go into these fights and you just all you need is the edge of your seat because you're just waiting for that opportunity you're just waiting for that shot to land and for me watching it on saturday i was just i i felt like i was leaning forward the whole time and kind of holding my breath because you know he's gonna try you know he's going to look for something and if it lands, it's, it's wild. And we saw it at the end of that second round, at the end of that fight. Goes in, finds a head kick. And it's just, there's such power and force to everything he throws. He could certainly benefit from dialing it back a little bit. And just being a little more active overall and not looking exclusively for power shots. But as is, as constructed, he can be a guy in that second 15 at welterweight that's a tough out for young emerging talents that's a tough out for veterans looking to climb and rebuild that is an entertaining addition to any main card he has put on in terms of fight night shows that is a great pay-per-view preliminary card fighter in the right matchups this makes sense when I spoke to him before this fight one of the things he said was, I'm 5-4 and four in the UFC and I'm not a 500 fighter. I don't want to be that person. I think moving to welterweight and fighting the right fights, taking the right opportunities, will ensure that doesn't happen. Now, there's always the possibility, similar to Shabazian, 
similar to all kinds of fighters. That he just continually takes tougher assignments, bad stylistic matchups, that put him in a position where he continues to be win one, lose one, whatever it is. But if he approaches it the right way, if he's matched up and offered the right way, can I see Joaquin Buckley being a guy that wins two out of every three, three out of every four in the welterweight division and continues to put up some highlights? Absolutely. This was a good performance in a in the right kind of matchup. And he did what he needed to do. And it was fun. And I look forward to the next one. Welcome to the division, Buck. Main card opener, Diego Fajaya knocks out Michael Johnson at 1 minute 50 seconds of the second round, an overhand right that as soon as it connected, it shut down Michael Johnson. And my takeaway here is that this really is, unfortunately, a perfect encapsulation of Michael Johnson's career. I spoke during the week about the tremendous strength of schedule Michael Johnson has fought. Stand by it. Unfortunately for the menace, this is kind of what happens. He goes out, he looks good. First round is solid. He's moving well, defending well, landing shots, rolling with shots. Hit Fajaya with a few good shots that you, you saw a reaction from the Brazilian. You saw him give him the little like, yeah, you got me. Okay, that one was good. And then we just have that moment. There's just that, that one moment where the hands are down, where something is, something isn't, the focus just wanes for one second. And it often comes at a time that somebody's throwing a big overhand right or a big left hook or chasing a finish like Tiago Moises did in their fight several years ago. And it's unfortunate because Michael Johnson is going to be remembered as the guy that got knocked out in vicious fashion by Diego Fajaya, by Josh Emmett. He's going to be the guy that got finished by Justin Gaethje in his UFC debut. The guy that Habib talked to at UFC 204 telling him, you may as well quit. You know I have to go fight for the title. Just quit now. He's better than all of those things. He's greater than those defeats. We saw it on Saturday. He was winning the fight. But unfortunately for Michael Johnson, there just seems to be points where he's winning fights until he loses them. And I know that that sounds ridiculous. And it's a thing we say in this sport that doesn't often make sense and translate to people that don't follow this sport. But folks that know, know. Like that phrase, that adage makes sense because this is a sport where things can change on a dime. And they changed with one shot in this fight. Michael Johnson was ahead of Diego Fajaya at every step and doing well. Not by leaps and bounds, not, you know, three, three steps in front of him, but a good half step in front of him. And Fajaya uncorked a shot that found the mark, and we were done. And I feel bad for Michael Johnson. I hope, first and foremost, that he is okay. It was good to see him up and walk out of the cage on his own power, but we also saw him ask Henry Hooft what happened, what I get hit with. He hit me with something. 
So he had no idea. I hope he continues. I, I think he should. I think he will. But this just... This is just... This fight was the story of his career, man. And I'm sorry for, for snickering about it. But sometimes it's, it, that's just how it goes. That's just how it shakes out. And this was one of those times. Prelims wrapped with Slava Claus, Vyacheslav Borshev, getting a second round TKO finish over Mahashite halfway through the round. I said it on Saturday in about Saturday's action. I will say it again here. Vyacheslav Borshev is a perfect, entertaining banger in this lightweight division, in the back half of it, sort of at the midway point and below. And I would implore the UFC to use him in that way. And I'll add to this, that Borshev and his team need to push to book him in this way. Much the same way that Drew Dober has sort of come out and said, I turn down fights that I think will be boring. I don't want to fight wrestlers. I want to be in here doing entertaining things against entertaining opponents. Borshev needs to take that same approach and just say, look, I get it. I understand why you stuck me in with Mark Casey. I understand why you stuck me in with Mike Davis. You saw how those fights went. Nobody really enjoyed them. They enjoyed this. Let me continue to do this. There are enough fighters in the lightweight division that we can have one or two that just have a certain role. And to me, there's no reason that, that Slava Claus isn't one of those guys. Like, perfect guy in this spot. Open a main card on a fight night. Get him in there with somebody that's going to be willing to trade and willing to throw. There's enough of those guys. Now, certainly, just about every opponent that gets paired off with him, is going to think, I need to come out and wrestle. Because they've seen that strategy deployed successfully. Borchev will continue to drill his takedown defense, to drill his get-ups, to drill his own offensive wrestling. The hands are good. He's going to be able to get in there and sling with anybody in the same range as him. No problem, no questions. But why not just give it the opportunity to have entertaining matchups? We talk all the time on these platforms, on these shows, about quality matchmaking and good matchmaking and giving people what they want. Shout out to Jalen Rose. This is an opportunity to take a guy who, in the right matchups, through Contender Series, through his debut, and through this fight, has shown you and proven to be wildly entertaining against fighters that will stand and trade with him. Find those people. There are other people like that. Now, there's no dictating for sure that that's how those fights play out. But why not give it the opportunity? I don't think anybody is looking at Slava Claus and saying, this is a guy that's going to go on to challenge for the lightweight title. There's no need to be trying to, to solve all of these problems and answer all of these questions with him. As much as I am the chief advocate for get these people tests and I want to see the next test when we know enough about somebody to have a pretty concrete opinion of who they are, where they fit, what they bring to the table, it's okay to find ways to play to those strengths and to play into those things we have enough competitors in the lightweight division that can be 
the litmus test for the emerging talents that can be the wrestler against the striker or the striker against the grappler. We've got all of that covered. You can take one person or two people and say, you know what? This is where they fit best. This is how they're best utilized. Let's just do this. And I hope the UFC matchmakers do that with Slava Claus. Next one, strawweights, technically a catchweight. Karolina Kovalkiewicz gets a unanimous decision win. 30-27 across the board against Vanessa Demopoulos. Makes it three straight. I said it coming in. I will say it coming out. It is great to see this. That's not a knock on Demopoulos. That's not being happy that she lost or anything like that. To understand where Karolina Kovalkiewicz was just a few years ago. On a five-fight losing streak. Unsure if she is going to continue. Dealing with the stress and frustration and depression of constantly losing fights and not having answers. To see her back here on a three-fight winning streak where... All of the things that she has done up to this point earned her that victory on Saturday. This was a fighter who is just more experienced, more polished, more capable all around going out and imposing that on a tough out in Vanessa Demopoulos, who I will speak about in a moment. The shift to American Top Team has done wonders for Karolina Kovalkiewicz. I don't believe she is going to go on a Cinderella run where she becomes a contender in this division again. She's 37. It's just, it's just a numbers thing. It's just a math thing at this point. But can she be a really interesting veteran presence in a division that needs interesting veteran presence? Yeah, absolutely. She was the right test for Demopolis on Saturday. She would be a great test for Lupi Godinez, who won on the main card and needs a fight like this. I'd be all about seeing that fight. Timelines match up. See what's happening. If Kovalkiewicz wants to come and fight in, in September when Lupi kind of early, early auditioned and early requested a spot on what everybody assumes will be a show in Mexico City. I'm happy to see this. It's not, it's not picking sides, but it's understanding where she was and what she was going through and how difficult that is. And I would feel this way for anybody in the same position. To be able to rebuild yourself and get back to this point is amazing. And I'm happy for it. And it was, it was, it was fun to see. It's great to watch. It's been a good ride. It's been a really, really emotional ride, these last three fights. And I look forward to seeing it continue. In regards to Demopolis... She showed me on Saturday that she belongs. She doesn't belong in the top 15. She doesn't belong in that grouping. But she has an absolute place and a value and utility in this division. She's tough as nails, man. She's willing to go out there and trade and trade and trade. She's happy to go out there and get into fistfights. I'll take it. She's got some scrambling ability. She throws with power. Give it to me. I'm in. She's somebody that I haven't been sold on, that I haven't been that particularly high on throughout her UFC run. I questioned her last two decision wins. But she went out there and, and hung tough 
on Saturday. Every step, she was just a half step behind Kovalkiewicz in each round, but had good moments. There's, there's usefulness, there's utility to fighters like that. And I got to tip my cap to, to Little Monster for going out there, hanging tough, having a good performance, despite the setback. She belongs. I look forward to her next fight as well. Another catchweight bout. Technically welterweight to Ryan Kosey missed weight. Also took a beat from Gilbert Urbina. And my takeaway from this one is that you have my attention, Gilbert Urbina. I came into this fight unsure of what to expect from Urbina, who didn't look particularly good in his fight with Brian Battle on short notice, to be clear, in the Tough 29 finale at middleweight. But he looked good on Saturday. He looked real good on Saturday. Big for the division. Quick, powerful, strong. Put it on Orion Kosi from the jump and never let off the gas, which is an impressive thing to see and a good thing to see. I certainly want to temper expectations here. I want to temper sort of the way we we move forward here because it is Orion Kosi. It's not someone too far up the divisional ladder. But this was a very good performance from a fighter who in the past has shown a little bit of a little bit of something. Right? He's a guy that hung with Sean Brady on the regional circuit. He fought good competition on the way up. And if he can continue to replicate these outings and these performances against stiffer competition going forward and build on this, then he becomes interesting. Again, I don't think Gilbert Urbina is going on to be a champion, is going on to be a top 15 guy in the welterweight division. Can he be an entertaining middle-of-the-pack fighter in the 175-70-pound weight class, excuse me, where we get fun fights, entertaining fights? Absolutely. And I know that there are people that will say, what do we, like, that, that aren't happy with my assessment that he can be a mid-pack guy because they don't want just mid-pack fighters. We need mid-pack fighters. We need a middle class. We need low-tier fighters too. All of these people have value and utility and function on this roster, in this ecosystem. We have to start taking positives. We have to start appreciating all of the elements of this. You certainly don't. If you're listening to this, I assume you do because you found my niche podcast and little old me on my Substack. So thank you. But I want that to resonate more. I hope that resonates more because Gilbert Urbina can be a fun fighter in the welterweight division going forward. He's going to get some opportunities after a performance like this, after coming off the ultimate fighter. I'm here for it. You have my attention, Mr. Urbina. Move to the heavyweight ranks. Rodrigo Nacimento defeats Alir Latifi. Split decision, 29-28 across the board. Two for the Brazilian, one for the Swedish man. It's sort of nothing big to take away here, truthfully. My question coming in, <clears throat> excuse me, was could Nacimento be more than a back end of the rotation guy? I think he can be. 
but he's not more than a third starter to continue that analogy. And I'm not talking about loaded pitching staff where the third guy can be the ace on any other team. I'm talking about pitching staff where the third guy probably is a five on a championship team, probably is a four in most places, but gets to be a three here. Heavyweight's thin. Heavyweight's shallow. He's going to have opportunities going forward. It doesn't take much more than what he's done thus far to break into the top 15. He showed some good moments in this fight with Alir Latifi. Some of, the, some of the hands looked good. But there were also holes. There were also flaws. And against a guy like Alir Latifi, who is a good, sturdy veteran, but not somebody that is in that mix, how this fight played out and the way that it went sort of sets that ceiling for me with Nascimento. Sort of lets me know where he's going to top out. Could he continue to grow and develop and build on, on the positives and address some of the shortfalls? Absolutely. 29 years old, works with the team at American Top Team, who I have the utmost respect for. Certainly possible. Is it going to be major leaps and bounds going forward and he, and he takes a great big step forward? I don't think so. We haven't seen that. We haven't seen any indications of that thus far in his career. And I don't know why we would going forward. But he's now one, two straight. Unbeaten in his last three. I think he's three, three and one with one no contest in the UFC thus far. So that's a reasonable record against that bottom half of the heavyweight division. Lower third of the heavyweight division. Now he gets in there. He's going to get in there with a little bit stiffer competition. And we're going to find out. He's now in the place where we put him in there with a test. We put him in there with an Andre Arlovsky. And we see how he does against Arlovsky. We put him in there with, you know, another one of these middle-of-the-pack kind of guys coming off contender series, whether it's Carl Williams, who won last week, whether it's Waldo Cost Cortez Acosta. I screw it up every time. It drives me nuts. Somebody of that, that nature. Maybe we even roll the dice and see what happens. With the bottom end of the top 15, we see about Alexander Romanov, someone like that. Just, you know, give, give him the opportunity, maybe a little bit of a, a chance to get right for Romanov. He belongs. He's going to hang around. I'm more interested in seeing more of Rodrigo Nascimento than I am of somebody like Dante Mays, than I am of, of even somebody like Carl Williams. And so this is a, a solid win, a good victory over a good veteran. But it also sort of tells me where the ceiling sits for, for Yogi Bear. Three more before we get out of here on the next day. Takeaways for UFC Vegas 73. Chase Hooper defeats Nick Fiore 30-26, 30-27 twice. I mentioned earlier when talking about Edmund Shabazian that we would address the whole got rushed too quickly a little later in the show. And Chase Hooper is obviously that individual. 23 years old. Debuted at lightweight here. Looked good. Has the frame for the division. Six foot one. 75 inch reach. He's filling out the former pipe cleaner body. But I watched this fight. And I just think what could have been. And 
maybe that's me being nostalgic. Maybe that's me wishful thinking, wish casting, whatever you want to call it. I've covered just about every episode of the Contender series. I remember Chase Hooper stepping in there against Kanan Kawaii and getting a victory in that fight. He showed the rawness. He showed the upside, but also all the places that he needed to improve, all the things that needed to get better. And I thought at the time that the developmental deal was the absolute right decision. Get this kid the opportunity to train, to focus on fighting, and to just build. And for me, it would have been, and the UFC has never done this. I don't think they will ever do this. This is a, if Spencer were in charge and and making all the decisions that isn't going to happen, I'd have given him five years. Take, Take one fight a year. Spend most of the year working in the gym, whether that's where you are in Washington State with Jeff Hoagland and the crew, whether that's getting around and training a bunch of different places, get him into the PI, get him just working on his skill. Because at 19 and 20, when he was starting out in the UFC, he didn't need to be there. He didn't have the experience. He didn't have the foundations to be there and competing. He got a good win over Daniel Tamer in his debut. And his next fight was Alex Caceres. I know Alex Caceres has struggled at times. But he was a guy that had like 20 fights in the UFC. And Chase Hooper was thrown in with him. And from those first steps in the UFC, it has been win one, lose one each time out. So, thinking ahead, whoever Chase Hooper fights next, regardless of what the betting line is, probably worth a sprinkle. Just in case you think about patterns and things of that nature. He looked okay against Nick Fiore. But all the stuff that has been the shortfalls of Chase Hooper this whole way and the places where you go, man, if he could just, are still the things that you look at and go, man, if he could just. The striking's still raw. It's still poor foundations, poor fundamentals. Despite having all of the the build and the physique and good on the ground, he's still a guy that's chasing rather than dealing with and, and collecting position. And all of those things are going to continue to be detriments to him going forward. It only gets tougher from here. This was the most favorable matchup possible, and it was still a grind. It was still a tougher fight than I think after the first round we thought it was going to be. I don't know if my approach of give him five years to develop and keep him away from the UFC would have worked out for Chase Hooper. I don't know. We can't, I can't go back on the timeline and see that, see that timeline. But I look at this young man. I look at the fundamental pieces that he has. I look at the raw materials and I just think that much like Shabazian, it was too much too soon and there was no real need. Like to go from Daniel Tamer to Alex Caceres, then back to Pete Barrett, who was winning that fight until Chase Hooper caught a heel hook 
late in that fight, late in the third round, that should have been, again, like Shabazian, that's the reset point. We don't need to move him forward. His next fight was against Steven Peterson, who retired this year, was a former LFC champ, just a gritty veteran dude. He's one of these fighters that I can't quit him. I'm always going to be interested in seeing Chase Hooper compete. But I think his opportunities have been squandered. I think the the upside that we all saw all the way back on season two of the Contender Series is never going to be reached. Like, not even close. And I don't know if that's because he was rushed. I don't know if that's because of where he is and his approach to things. But it just feels like a wasted opportunity. And that's unfortunate to me. Flyway fight. Natalia Silva demolishes Victoria Leonardo. Just shy of three minutes into the first round. Punches and a head kick to get her out of there. Natalia Silva's the goods. I tried to tell you going in. Yeah, I'm coming here and, and giving myself a pat on the back. And I'm not the only one by any stretch. But Natalia Silva's the goods. This went even better than I anticipated. This was even more one-sided than I thought it would be. Natalia Silva is going to be a problem in this division going forward. She is quick. She is dynamic with her striking. She is happy to go in there and engage. She took a couple shots and rolls with it no problem. We've seen little wrinkles on the ground in the fight with Teresa Blada that she's comfortable there. That certainly may change against top-end talent. But I want to see it. I want to see it. I don't want to see her in there against this caliber of fighter anymore. So she has fought three people off of the Contender Series to date in the UFC. Jasmine Jasutovicius, Teresa Bleda, and now Victoria Leonardo. It is time for a step up in competition. I would advocate that it is time to give her the let's just see fight. Andrea Lee was in Victoria Leonardo's corner. If I were Natalia Silva or her team, I'd have told her in that moment to just point to the other side of the cage and be like, what are you doing in three months, honey? Come on, let's go. You want some of this? You want to avenge your friend? Let's go. She is too sweet and polite and lovely for that, it seems. Great moment on the mic, showing off her English. Shouts to Fabiano Busque for doing his like, well, I'm not needed here. Walk off. That was great. It was a great bit. I love it. I want to see more of it. Give me all of the Natalia Silva. If you are not on board yet, get on board now. Get your tickets. Get your spot on the bandwagon. She is coming. She will be in the top 15 before the year is out. And if she gets a fight like Andrea Lee or maybe Viviata Ujo or maybe even Jennifer Maya, she can make an impact. She's somebody we're going to hear about going forward. And I want you to enjoy the ride with me. Check her out. Pay attention. Check in. She's the goods. Last one. Welterweight opener. Temba Garimbo gets a unanimous decision win over Takeshi Sato. 30-27s across the board. My takeaway is simply that Garimbo should stick around for a while. He's somebody that will be a solid mid-pack to below welterweight. He has an attacking style. 
He has a grindy style. We saw some of that. He talked about having the flu yesterday and still having a reasonably a reasonably good performance against a tough veteran. I just want to see more. I just want to continue to see it. Now, Michael Bisping, and I talked about this in about Saturday's action, the opening point of, of that, that piece. Michael Bisping said he's going to be a problem going forward. I don't disagree, but we have to, like, qualify these things. And I think this is something that we need to do a little bit more in terms of the way we speak and the lexicon we use in MMA and talking about these athletes. He's going to be a problem for a certain range of fighter and a certain skill level of fighter. Absolutely. We saw that Saturday. We saw that in his debut against AJ Fletcher. Is he going to be a problem for anybody that is more experienced and further ahead in their development and progression and skill set than the guys he's faced thus far? No, not really. Maybe he proves me wrong. Maybe he comes out and shows me otherwise. But again, 32 years old, just getting into the UFC now, certainly can improve now that he's getting better training alongside more professional MMA fighters working with the crew at MMA Masters. But is he going to ascend to be a guy that thrives in the second 15? Is he going to be an Alex Morono type? I don't think so. Does he give Alex Morono problems? I don't think so. Maybe we're wrong. I'm, I'm going to continue paying attention. I'm going to keep watching. So I hope that Tempa Grimbo proves me wrong. And I have to jump on here in a couple of fights in a couple of years and offer a mea culpa. But I think I'm right. I think it's one of those things where he can be a problem for a certain level of fighter. But we have to make sure that we, we make that clear. Because if we don't, people get these wrong expectations and these wrong ideas. And I think we as media, we as analysts, have an obligation to set these expectations properly. To set these bars and speak about these men and women in a proper context at all times. We throw around the word, we throw around the word, as I stumble over my words, prospect and contender far too liberally. We need to dial it back. We need to rein it in. We need to tighten things up a little bit and put more context, add more nuance to the way we talk about these men and women. That is not to take away from Tembo Garimbo's first UFC victory and his success on Saturday, but it's just a way that we can improve the discourse in this space. That's it for the show. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the fights yesterday. I hope you enjoyed the listen. I will be back tomorrow with the Keyboard Kimura podcast. As I said off the top, presented by One Bone, go check out the crew. ESK20 at checkout for 20% off. I hope you have a tremendous week. Enjoy your Sunday. Enjoy your Monday if you're listening to this on Monday. Check out the Keyboard Kimura Substack, spencerkite.substack.com. Subscribe for free for five bucks for, for 50 bucks for the year. Whatever way you do, however you sign up, I appreciate you. Welcome to the family. Most importantly, be good to yourselves. Be good to one another. Know that you're valued. Know that you're appreciated. Know that you're loved. And we'll talk to you soon.